Well, good morning to all of you. Isn't there much to celebrate today? We have this thing called Daylight Savings Time, which, yeah, it may not be. I hear it's a really debated thing, and that's more of a joke, but we do tonight begin a new season which there is much to celebrate, and that is the arrival of March Madness. I don't know if you're, if you're like me, ever since football ended, I've just taken a break, except for the Olympics, uh, from, from all sports, just to kind of settle in, get ready for, for the next season approaching. And tonight is Selection Sunday, where the 64 teams will be selected and seeded, 1 to 16 in four different regions, for the men's basketball tournament. And with it comes great hope. Uh, this comp- the competition is really ramped up as this big tournament, probably the most popular tournament in the U.S., I would wager. Uh, the atmosphere is exciting and intense because of one loss, and it means you're packing your bags and going home. So the competition means that much more when we arrive at this point of March Madness. The stakes couldn't be higher. One loss and the season is done. All of the blood, sweat, and tears for every team that was fortunate enough to make it and you're going home and watching on TV what happens next and then you start getting ready for the next season. And even if you are not a sports fan and you're like, oh great, Trent has used more sports as an illustration for the sermon, in March Madness there is a Something about when a celebration occurs when the underdog knocks off one of the big traditional powers that is supposed to make it all the way to the end. Perhaps this year's Cinderella might be the Texas Tech Red Raiders. (laughs) For the first time since 2005, they made the tournament. And I hope I don't jinx them by saying... They might be this year's underdog because they are a good team this year, finally. I don't know what happened, but uh, I hope it's not a one-and-done for them. I hope they go well into the tournament and may be considered this year's underdog, this year's Cinderella. But regardless of my favorite team or your favorite team, when the underdog prevails and pulls off the upset, it is hard not to be excited for them. As you watch them celebrate, you see a pure joy that just comes out of that when, this, when the clock hits zero, 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 and the ball gets thrown in the air, all the players are dancing around with the coaches, and occasionally the whole crowd will empty itself onto the floor of the arena, just wanting to be a part of the celebration and a part of that victory. And you may even see from home even, Tears of joy as a team you were rooting for, especially if they are playing that underdog role, makes it to that final point of joy. It's awesome to really see and be part of something like that. And in each new season, the pres- it offers yet another chance, another opportunity for another underdog story, giving each sports fan some hope and something to look forward to as the seasons roll over and over. 
And while it's fun to celebrate those types of surprising victories, how much more would we celebrate a victory that we couldn't win? I'm not talking about a victory that we shouldn't win or one that, we, that would merely be difficult for us to win. I'm talking about a victory that we in ourselves absolutely cannot win. Do you realize that when we gather on Sundays and many days of the week, actually, this is a busy place during the week, or when you gather with others, we gather to celebrate that very type of victory every time we gather in the name of the church and in the name of Christ. We celebrate a victory that we in ourselves could not possibly win. Even through the weightiness of the season of Lent and the reality of the brokenness of this world, let us remember and let us celebrate the joy and glory of the promise of Easter, the promise of the resurrection. And this really is an underdog story. No matter how much we have done, how much we have persevered, how many good decisions we have made, you and I are not able to conquer death. We are not able to conquer sin, at least on our own. It's like walking out onto the basketball court with the loss already recorded in the record book. No matter how hard you played, how well you did, you still wind up in defeat. And yet, with familiar words in our gospel reading today, you actually often see this at a majority of sports games, that fan in the audience holding up John 3.16. We are reminded of the great victory that is ours, that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Let me set up a bit of the context from our gospel that Joe read this morning. Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, a Pharisee, one of the Jewish religious leaders, and he is also considered one of the great teachers of Israel. Nicodemus has come to Jesus at night, so no one would see him have to ask this question more about who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. We're told that Nicodemus could see that there was something special about Jesus. He just wasn't sure exactly what it was or how to make sense of it. But even as he and Jesus were speaking of the need to be born again, to be able to enter into the kingdom of God, it was clear that Nicodemus had a hard time grasping and understanding what Jesus actually meant. He was so steeped, Nicodemus was, in his way of self-righteousness that he didn't understand how he could enter into God's kingdom without some good work on his own. In a lot of ways, we are just like Nicodemus. I remember in my own life, 16 years of age, once the, my JV season of football had ended. And I remember the coaches, after we watched the final film, they started getting us ready, started preparing us for next year's season. And one of my favorite coaches, Coach Jones, approached me. He was my position coach. He came up and he said, you know, Trent, with this offseason, the summer, 
And in fall camp, if you are serious, you've got a good shot as a junior of making varsity, which didn't happen at a 5A West Texas high school. Mostly it was seniors with the lucky few juniors sprinkled in. And he lit me up when he told me that, and I got to work immediately. Got bigger, got faster, studied the other teams, even in the off season, who, would, who we'd be playing, and I was ready. And it was going to happen. I felt it. Then, ironic of all days, July 4th showed up, and my ap appendix ruptured. And it wasn't a simple rupture. I had to spend a week in the hospital on, on the mend and would have to spend the first half of the next football season in recovery, getting ready. And I was just hoping maybe that varsity promise would come true, but I had just missed too much. And that dream I had worked so hard for evaporated very quickly. And I remember having the support system of my dad, a few of the coaches, and especially my youth pastor, Kurt Oheim. And I went in to see him. And guys don't do this often, so you know something has been, has hit us right in the heart when, when a guy cries. <laughs> and I went in to see him in just complete anger and frustration. And the tears came. And I remember, without thinking about it much, yelling, this has been taken away from me. I worked so hard for this and that concept that Nicodemus doesn't understand, I find myself in that story as well, with that story in my life. And at that point, at 16, I actually had grown up in the church. I had heard the gospel message preached several times, and I was even a leader in my youth group. And yet, here I was, Nicodemus, on that day and many other days following, not completely understanding the gospel message. To help illustrate this truth and help Nic Nicodemus better understand what he was saying, Jesus recalled in the opening lines of our gospel a story from Israel in the desert when God sent snakes among them, the Israelites. As Israel often did, they began to grumble against Moses and against God for what they perceived as a lack of good provision for them as they would journey through the desert. Because of their lack of trust in God to provide for them and their grumbling and complaining that followed, God actually sent venomous snakes into their midst. As these snakes would bite people, we are told that many of them would die. The Israelites, recognizing their sin, begged God for his mercy, and God provided an interesting solution. He didn't take the snakes away from them. Rather, he had Moses make a bronze snake and erect it on a pole so that when people were bitten by the snakes, they could look upon this bronze snake on the pole and they could find healing. Now, such a solution doesn't make much logical sense, does it? The bronze snake on the pole and of itself had no power to bring healing to the Israelites. And the action of the people looking upon the snake pole didn't provide that healing either. The solution worked because God promised that it would work. It was backed by God's promise. You see, 
It was this promise that was attached to all of this that brought healing to the people. Jesus used this story as a parallel to answer Nicodemus's confusion, to say the very same thing happens with our problem of sin. Logically, our minds tell us, when we do something wrong, I should counter that wrong with doing something good in order to make up for it, and I'll be okay. Our, our reason tells us that we should be able to overcome sin, our very human reason from within, and we should make it right on our own by correcting whatever situation we did wrong. Have you heard the cliche, two rights don't make a wrong? And some even have played with that concept by switching it up and saying, two wrongs don't make a right. A very confusing concept to grasp. It is hard for us as Christians to grasp. Mind you, much like our friend Nicodemus, that we can't earn salvation in and of ourselves. Someone else had to do that for us. It can be hard to really hang on to the truth that looking to Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross is what God accepted as payment for our sin. This is the very thing Nicodemus was struggling to come to grips with. That salvation comes completely separate from our works of righteousness and through faith in Christ Jesus. At one time or another, we will all find ourselves in the darkness of sin by our thoughts, words, and deed, as we opened in prayer about this morning. And yet, when we are able to come to grips with this reality and able to look at things from this perspective, the word of Jesus becomes incredibly profound and comforting. And leave us asking, when we hear these familiar words, how do I get a piece of that? Listen to it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned. Just as from the Old Testament parallel, as the snake was raised up on a pole, and that all that would gaze on it would be healed, so also would the Son of Man be raised up on the cross, so that all that looked to him in faith would be rescued from destruction. That many, that does not sound logical to us, but it works because it is backed by the same promise, the gospel message of God. The theologian Martin Luther once said he was really glad that God didn't write in the Bible that God so loved Martin Luther that he gave his one and only son. He was glad God didn't write that name because he would always wonder if he was the Martin Luther or not that he was talking about. Martin Luther was a great 
theologian and brings us a great point. Because it was written, God so loved the world, he could be absolutely confident that he was included because he is part of the world. Here's the beauty of the promise of God. It is universal, includes the whole world, and yet intensely personal. For us to receive the blessings of this promise, we do so by faith. God loves you. He loves each of us. He knows us. He knows you. He knows our situations. He knows what you are going through, what you have been through, and what is coming. And yet, he is the one and only, the final atoning sacrifice that would set us free from the bondage of sin and death. How awesome is that? It truly is remarkable. The greatest underdog story ever told. God's love for us is so great that he held nothing back. There was no price too steep, no effort too hard in order that we may know and experience his grace. May we rejoice and celebrate this victory this and every day through the peaks and the valleys of this life. Praise be to God Almighty for what he accomplished for us all on his cross. Amen.